Welcome to Below the Line, where we talk about working in Hollywood from the crew perspective. My name is Skid. I was assistant director in Hollywood for the better part of eight years, and now I'm not. We are continuing our series about the Oscar nominees and the technical categories. Today, we're going to discuss the nominees for both sound mixing and sound editing. As a warning, these conversations tend to wander and there could be spoilers. I've got two guests today. First, Steve Morrow. You're a three-time Oscar nominee for sound mixing, most recently this year for 4V Ferrari. Congratulations. Well, thank you very much. Happy to be here. And uh, yeah, we discussed that back on Below the Line just last month and glad to have you back. Glad to be here. Thank you very much. Next, Perry Robertson. You've been doing sound for movies for more than 35 years. You started as a sound mixer yourself and moved to sound editing in the mid-90s. Your INDB credits run long and deep, but I just want to say that I really enjoyed last year's Good Boys, even if it didn't get nominated for an Oscar. Perry, welcome. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's a funny <laughs> intro. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, yeah, Good Boys, we'll do that on another podcast. But before we talk about <laughs> this year's nominees, let's take a minute and talk about the split between sound mixing and sound editing. Steve, let's start by talking about your job as a sound mixer. Sure. I mean, my job uh, as a production sound mixer, which is, is put into the sound mixing category, is to, the, the basic job, the, the main focus is to record the actors on set in front of camera. Um, whether that's one microphone or 20 microphones and do the best mix I can live on set uh, while providing, you know, the, the post uh, dialogue editor and post mixers uh, the ability to, to fix and adjust and, and make you know, just basically make it better. Um, so that's that's the the core basic part of the job. Uh, in addition to that, on some films, there'll be unique sounds, unique uh, things that you would want to capture on set that might be difficult to, to re-record uh, in post. And so we try to record that as well and, and make notes of it so that there's at least the, the possibility of it being used or, or found in post. Tell me a little bit more about the idea of the production sound mixer versus the other mixers. When you look at the nominees, I see generally two or three names, and I know that not all of those folks are actually on set. How is that division of labor work? Right, well, the production mixers, uh, one of the nominees, and then the other one or two or three are the re-recording mixers. Uh, you can think of them as the, the guys who kind of blend all the, all the work that you know, a sound editor will do and the dialogue editors, all those people blend it all together so that when you're sitting in the theater, that's the sound that you hear ultimately coming out of the speakers, whether, you know, it, you've noticed it in some movies where it's a, you know, everything sounds perfect. Some movies, you know, sometimes the music's too loud, but that may be on purpose. Sometimes the sound effects over, overdo the, the dialogue and sometimes the dialogue's too loud or, or too quiet or, you know, those are, that's how that all gets mixed together. That's what the re-recording mixers do. And so those other folks, will you work closely with them during production or are they working closer with the sound editor on, uh, as far as uh, executing on their part of the job? Yeah, typically I'm, I'm hired on a film. Um, there's not a lot of um, interaction with, with post and the production side of it. Uh, I, you know, the re-recording mixers work closer with the sound editors than they do the production sound side of it. Uh, there's typically times where I'm hired. We do the entire movie before the post mixers are hired. Perry and I have a different relationship. We've actually done a, a bunch of movies together where I knew he was doing post-production and I was going to do the production side of it. But, uh, but typically it's, you know, it, it's always decided 
you know, not at the same time. So I'm hired first to make sure the dialogue is recorded and then the, the post-production takes over once editing is, uh, uh, commences. Well, let's transition there then. Perry, tell us more about where the handoff to sound editing takes place in the process. Well, basically, like Steve said, we, he does all the production audio, gives it to the picture editor. The picture editor goes through and does their cut. And once it's to a place where they are happy with the cut, they will give it to us. Most of the time, they will use Steve's mix track that he mixes on set. If there's a, a problem area, they will go into the, the separate tracks uh, that he records. Like on Front Runner, Steve had, what do you have, 24 wireless mics going at the same time? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that was our, our max count, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he'll, he'll give them a, a mixed track to work with. Then they give it to us and we'll split out all those tracks and not that Steve doesn't do a great job because he does such an awesome job. And some of the times it's like, okay, recreate, recreate what Steve did. And <laughs> it's, but we go through and listen to each individual mic, individual channel, and then pick the best channel and put that all together and then give it to the re-recording mixer. And he, he levels it all out from my point of view to uh, the re-recording mixers. There's a lot of cross uh, talk these days because I've got with, with uh, pro tools in the digital world, there's so much I can do before it gets to the re-recording mixer so that his job is, I'm not going to say easier, but, but he can actually mix instead of fix a lot of times. I love it when the mixer's just mixing, just rolling along and, if I can make his life easy that way, then, and we have so many tools in the post-production business now that, you know, even if the environment's not perfect uh, for Steve, then I get a, I can fix it. <laughs> okay. Okay. And so if I understand correctly, then sound editing takes place between what the production mixer and then a, recording mixer are doing in other words so um the nominees for mixing are actually on both sides of the work that's been done for editing is that accurate understand that's correct yes that that is correct and the sound editing we also add in all the foley uh which is you know every little movement that steve hasn't been able to record we do all the backgrounds all the designy effects all any of that stuff because Steve, what he tries to do is just make sure he gets the best dialogue possible. And we add in everything else and then give it to the re-recording mixer. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, a lot of the time on set, it'll be a built set. And so, you know, the actor's coming through a steel door and it closes with a big clunk. Well, it's probably a wood door and it closes with a little thud. So hmm. you want to protect the dialogue so that, Perry and, and his team can go in there and really give it a, that chunky sound or, you know, so you, you typically try to record the cleanest audio possible and, and leave the, the sound effects and things of that nature to, to post-production. But it's also, you know, if there is something real specific, Labor Day we did together, Perry and I did together, and I think we had a little video game that the kid was playing in 1980s, you know, I think it was Frogger or something, and it made a really neat sound, so we recorded it 
just in case that prop gets lost somewhere, they can't find it six months later, at least there's a recording of what that sound is. And so that's, you know, that's where it not blends, but that's where we try to help out on the production side uh, so that, you know, that things aren't having to be dug through later on. Okay, well, that adds some good context for our conversation about the nominees. We'll start with Ad Astra, which has been nominated for sound mixing. The team is Gary Rydstrom, Tom Johnson, and Mark Yulano. What did you guys think of this film? Well, I thought, uh, I mean, the, the movie is, you know, they, they put it into its own world uh, in the future. You know, there's the, the battle between different groups and, and uh, there's something going on that's reverberating back on earth and they're trying to figure out what it is. And, you know, only one man can, can, can fix it. And that's Brad Pitt. Sound wise, it was a well, you know, it was a well-designed film in the sense that it puts you in outer space, uh, puts you in those scenarios, uh, probably has the best um, moon chase sequence in cinema history. It's probably pretty easy to say. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, you know, a movie like that really is sold, you know, with sound. I mean, you can't, you can't do a, a sci-fi movie with it just being your average uh, sounding film. So it needs to really propel the audience into this world that is somewhat unbelievable uh, on, on, you know, on its face. So I think they did that. They really did that in a, in a good way. I think this, the moon chase is getting a lot of attention. It's what would be the sound challenges of both what you're capturing and then trying to edit that, as you say, to have that, uh, an otherworldly sense, I guess. How do you think you capture that? Well, I think, uh, first off, you know, like a, a mixer, the onset mixer, Mark Ilano, he probably, you know, his, his focus was the, the spacesuits and the, the dialogue and, you know, the basic, the basics of that, it, it probably mostly blue screen, green screen kind of thing. And so then, you know, guys like Perry and, and, and Post, go for it, Perry. You can tell what you would <laughs> probably start with when you're, when you're talking about a moon chase. Well, I, it's, it's interesting that it's just a sound mixing. Um, it, I, don't, I don't know. I have a hard time sometimes, like everybody else, wondering why these are like, especially these days, two different categories. Like I didn't, I'm unfortunately I didn't see Ad Astra, but I do know that the first you, you're creating an entire world, and so the fact that they think it's a, a sound just sound mixing as opposed to all the work that's done in post editing and the sound designers going through and designing that world which you are seeing on the screen that's a that's kind of a hard thing to differentiate because the, I mean, I'm sure Gary Rydstrom and those guys were the designers as well. And, and uh, I mean, that's so much the design of what to make that planet come alive, the moon come alive. That's really a, you know, that's to me, that's a design thing, <laughs> but you know, that's, it's, it's an, it's a argument that, our community has had over the years is whether these should be two, you know, a divided kind of two, two uh, awards or not. Well, it's always hard to give up an award that the community to say that we're, uh, <laughs> no, we're going to go from I, two Academy Awards a year down to one award, but it is but a case as you guys are making where those folks are really all working together on the final product. Yeah, right. I mean, it's, it's a, it's such a collaboration from start to finish that, 
especially on on something like that where it's where it's a you know you're creating a world that nobody knows so that sound designer has sat in his room and and come up with the sounds that will make the audience feel like they're on that you know whether it's a moon or in the case of uh like 1917 you know it puts you back in in that era you know what i mean so the choices of sounds has a lot to do with obviously the mixers put that stuff together too but i in some cases or a lot of cases it's hard to differentiate the two sound editing and sound mixing yeah the lines are the lines are blurred i think more now than ever before but there's also a discussion in the the academy about combining the two categories uh, they sent out a letter asking everybody's opinion on it this year about just combining the two categories into a best sound category so that may be the the answer and not you know splitting it up and making it you know confusing for everybody but yeah i mean as as long as they're you know as long as they give it to the people you know they don't take away the number of statues i guess is what you'd say so you these days on some of the bigger shows you have two supervising sound editors and you you know you have obviously the location guys and then whatever it's two one two or three mixers on the final end so as long as everybody gets their statues i don't see why it should be a i don't know that's my argument anyway <laughs> yeah interesting <laughs> enough and we won't dive deep into it now but then i wonder if it becomes a, a producer question like the producers don't want to give up another statue and potentially they got a chance of getting uh, you know two uh, two multiple nominations or multiple wins to uh, use for their advertising on uh, on the film that's uh cuz you open up on other folks who have a stake not just the recipients right. but other folks who who tie their welfare to the awards as well right uh, i understand yeah. but anyway well, we'll try to get some of those guys on. Mark Ulano has been on the show a couple of times. So on Ad Astra, perhaps we'll invite him back, let him explain exactly uh, how things worked on that movie. But let's move on to a category we do have some more immediate insight. Ford v. Ferrari, under sound mixing, Steve, you were nominated along with Paul Massey and David Giamarco. And uh, Ford v. Yeah. Ferrari was also nominated for sound editing, uh, Donald Sylvester. Steve, we know about the work that you did on that, or folks who haven't should definitely go back and, and listen to those podcasts. But tell us a little more about how this came together specifically for Ford v. Ferrari, the, the specific challenges that you think are being recognized here with the nomination. Um, I, I think the, the nomination for Ford v. Ferrari is, is one of those movies where it really felt like you were in the race car with, the, with Christian's uh, character and that you were on the, the, in the pits. Um, I think it was just one of those films where the sound really played a character in the film to make you, you know, feel for the actors and feel for the characters, uh, what they were going through. The, the challenges on the film were actually the, the cars themselves. We didn't have the original GT40s. We didn't have the original Ferraris for those sounds on set. They got them in post-production, but on set we had more of a uh, production vehicle so that the the cars wouldn't break down, that they would always work. They were basically brand new cars with the old shells on them. Uh, so you could rip them around the track at 100 plus miles an hour and you could have them uh, working every day, all day. The, the challenge on the day on that film was to record the, the audio as clean as you could. Uh, the, the cars were loud and not period accurate. And so, you know, the best, the best thing that we could do for post-production was just, you know, give it our all in trying to 
record the, the dialogue as clean as possible. And you do that picking different types of microphones, different mic placements, um, things of that nature. But you, you want to make sure that post-production has everything they need on the acting side of it, on the, the dramatic side with the actors telling their story, that they could really focus on you know, the races and scooping up the sound really giving you that, that feeling that you were in the 60s with, with the, the drivers. So I got a question for you, Steve. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Barry, take the floor. So, no, no, no. I'm, I'm curious. How did, how did you decide what to record? Like, did you do, like, when Christian's in the car, especially, you know? I mean, that had to be super, I mean, hard to do. Yeah, so when, when Christian was in the car, it was a pod car that was driven by a stunt driver. But that car is a loud, you know, right. V8 Cadillac engine. We knew going into it that the the sound level on that was going to be really high. So we, I, I spent a little bit of time trying to figure out what the best lav mic was to put on the actors that would give me a high enough range. Um, and we found a, a, a DPA 4066, I think is the, the, the name on it. And that gives you 150 decibels of, of range. Wow. Which is, you know a jet engine sound that you could record next to. So he could scream and yell at the top of his lungs in the car while he's driving a hundred miles an hour around the track. And we would be able to record it um, without it just distorting, um, you know, from the, from the jump. Right. Where now did you have, did you have a recorder on board or did yeah, you? So we, yeah, we, we actually put a recorder on the stunt um, car hit record and let it go, we would embed the audio into the camera and then that would be broadcast back to Video Village for uh, Jim and, and the team to watch and listen at the same time. They had a special team out there with a microwave system so you could get video for the whole track. It's, you know, it's a couple miles around. Right. Um, and so the only way to, to send audio back uh, was through the camera, through a microwave system. And so that's how we were able to, you know, watch it. And every take, we could kind of watch and listen and go, okay, that was perfect. Or, okay, let's adjust it up. Let's adjust it down uh, when the car comes back. And so that's how we, we did that. But, yeah, that you just put a recorder on, hit record, and, and, you know, let them go. And once they come back, you check the recording. Yep, still recording, and go to the next take. Cool. Sorry, Skid, doing your job. <laughs> no, that's, hey, that's, uh, it's an open conversation, just like we're all hanging out. Uh, it does lead to a question, based on what you said earlier, Steve, would this be a film, given the unique challenges of the racing and the automobiles, that uh, Paul and David and Donald on uh, the editing side, they were all involved early, maybe even in sort of planning how this was going to come together? Or is this the sort of thing that, that you guys knew you didn't need to have the specific folks up front? Uh, yeah, we didn't, we didn't actually have any conversations up front uh, with post-production on this one. It was more or less, you know, Steve, you're hired, go get the sound. I mean, what we, what we did at, at the beginning – my initial goal was, oh, hey, let's record a bunch of sound effects. Let's record the cars. Let's try to get some exhaust. You know, let's really try to get as much as we can. And when we showed up and looked at the cars and went, oh, well, this is a Corvette engine. This is a, you know, this is a Volkswagen engine and this Ferrari, you know, things of that nature. It was like, okay, this isn't going to, you're never going to use any of this sound. And we, we made sure with, with uh, production, basically with Jim, you know, making sure that they had a plan that they were going to, obviously re-record all the engines and so for us to focus more on the dialogue and the drama of the day uh, than the engines of, of a car that they're going to replace. So that's kind of what that conversation was just to make sure that we covered the dialogue and that the, we knew post-production and, and the team would, would grab all the, the cars and the racing. 
And Steve, I know you shared those stories of the challenges with us uh, when you're on the podcast. And as you've said again now, are those stories um, making their way into the common reporting as well? I think those kind of stories help make folks favorites, I think, if people are aware of specific challenges. But I'm not really sure in the sound category whether it gets the kind of publicity we're talking about, about the challenges. Yeah, I mean, I mean I'm mean, i not sure. When I have conversations with people, they you know, they obviously comment on the sound, how great it was and how much that must have been hard to do. So I think that the idea is there that people understand the, the difficulty of that scenario. But yeah, it's not a, it's not a main story of, of the, you know, of the, the tale of recording. So. Well, we'll yeah. see what comes with. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> good, good, good luck, Steve. Good Thank luck. Thank you. Let's move on to our next film, Joker, which was also nominated in both categories for sound mixing and apologies in advance if I mess up any of these names. Tom Ozanic, Dean Zupancic, and Todd Maitland. And on the sound editing side, the nominee is Alan Robert Murray. So what do you guys think of Joker and the sound on that? I loved it. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, I thought they were. I thought they really built a, a world around that character. So I think you know, it really brought the the audience into uh, Joker's life and and the the world and and you know, where he was living and his his depression. And so, what yeah. do you when you say that? What's what are some of the techniques that you guys, as sound professionals, noticed in listening to the film that they did to contribute to this world building? Um, I have to say, for me, the great thing about Joker was I didn't notice anything between the music and the, the sound design and, uh, I mean, just everything about it. I, I mean, I, I, there's a, the movies I saw, saw this year, I felt like everybody did such a great job. And I'm not just blowing smoke, but I just I, – Joker, they used so – so many little subtle things that were, and, and, and again, I'm kind of like Steve was on, uh, at Astra. I, I didn't notice a lot, which is good for me because if I'm not noticing things, then I think it's, it's done so well. And I'm sure there's, they pulled all kinds of tricks out on the backgrounds and, and just subtle little things and to make that sound so, oh man, that, I, I love the sound on that one. It was crazy. <laughs> I really did. When I, when I watched Joker, I, you know, they, they put you into that world. And the, 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 the thing that jumped out at me, now I was lucky and saw it twice. I saw it once before the mix happened and once in the theater. And so the thing that jumped out at me that, that was really subtle, but really put the, the kind of the pain into the audience was every time Joker would laugh, you know, he would grab his chest and there would be this noise of like, you know, his lungs crunching because it was so painful because it was an uncontrollable thing that he had. And that noise was obviously, you know, all post-production, you know, making it sound that way. And so the pain that you felt as the audience member watching this guy who couldn't control his own laughter, I think is that subtleness that, that makes that film really work well and really, you know, you, as an audience member, you almost empathize with them throughout the film even though he's the villain you know and that's that's something that is a tough thing to do and pull off and actually you know work as a as a film i think when you're dealing with a movie like that and you're able to uh, empathize with the bad guy i think that that's a, a real tribute to the film itself and to the the makers but i think that that was definitely a, a fine line to 
to, um, you know, that that's a tightrope to walk that the post-production and editing and everybody involved did a great job in, in pulling off on that movie. I think this movie itself is one that people feel very strongly about either you do, uh, love it or you hate it. And it may be because to your point that the movie is so effective in bringing you along with the story that if you're into the story, then that's great. And you get all that reinforcement. And if you're not, maybe people feel a little dragged in a direction they don't want to go. So that'll be interesting yeah. to see how that one shakes out with so many nominations, which ones it actually yeah. takes over. 11 of them. Amazing. All right, let's move on to the next film on our list. 1917 also nominated in both categories. First for sound mixing, Mark Taylor and Stuart Wilson. And for sound editing, Oliver Tarney and Rachel Tate. What did you guys think of 1917? Um, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I was, I was halfway through the movie, and then I, the, the only problem I had with it was I was so blown away technically how they did that. <laughs> that, that uh and sound wise just thought it was spectacular it was what one of my favorite things about sound sometimes is the subtleties it's not the it's not the big guns or i mean in the case of ford versus ferrari it's awesome because they had so many of the great motors and stuff and it was it really made the movie but it was almost the lack of sound in 1917 i was just fascinated by how good the Foley was and how good the, just the ambience they created. It was really, for me, I, I don't know. I just, I was into the movie so much. It was, it was, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. They were able to really build a, a nice tension, you know, through the film, even though it's, you know, essentially two long shots. I feel like they really brought the the audience in with them on their journey and you felt the tension as if, Obviously not as if you were there, but, you know, as much as you could. And I think that was sometimes in the, in the quiet moments in that film where you really weren't sure what was going to pop up or what was going to happen next because it wasn't, they weren't telegraphing it to you. Exactly. I, I just, they, they, there was so much tension and, and so much, I mean, going across that battlefield was just, Oh man, I couldn't wait. I, I knew something was going to happen, <laughs> but but uh, the realism of that movie was was super super nice for me. And from the production side, Steve, what do you think the challenges are of those long shots? Obviously, there are breaks, and you know there's you know people nearby. But do you think somebody's falling with a portable mixer? Do you think that they just located themselves in a position or similar to what you were saying with the Ford V Ferrari, do you think they're using some sort of uh, radio transfer to get back to where you're actually? Yeah. Sitting? I mean, I think, I think on a film like that, at least the way that I would tackle it is sometimes you could be set up on a cart and um, you know, and sometimes you just have to be mobile. You know, some of those shots are incredibly long. The main challenges is probably the, the conditions on the ground, you know, it's muddy, it's slippery. It's uh, you know, you have probably, you know, a ton of guys, moving cameras, moving stuff in and out of the way, you know, anytime you have a, a a scene like that where you're trying to do it in one big shot, there's a lot going on behind the camera. And so to try to record the, the actors dialogue nice and clean with, you know, 50 people running around just outside the frame is, is difficult. So I think, 
the amount of dialogue they were able to pull off from set was amazing. And just the, the ability to, to track that dialogue that far is, is a, a big accomplishment. So uh, Stuart did an amazing job doing that. And I think post-production did an amazing job, you know, f fixing any of those, you know, 50 crew members running around outside of frames um, and really bringing the war, you know, to the theater. I think that that was, uh, it's quite the accomplishment because that is a difficult thing, especially on the long shot, you know, when they're, they're moving hundreds of feet, you know, radio mics only go so far before you have to move the entire thing. So, and, and in that movie, none of the sets repeat, you know, when they're in one spot, they're not back there, you know, for another scene. So you're just, you're always on the move. So I imagine that was a big consideration in, in the, the setup on set. Now on the editing side, uh, and Perry, you've alluded to this as well, I think, layering in the war to make the war ever present and yet not distracting from these two individuals who are going across the battlefield. Uh, anything specific you guys noticed on this one that uh, so you know, certain elements or scenes where they captured that perfectly? Or do you think just the, the fact that like before that we're not constantly thinking about the war, but aware that they're in the middle of it is itself. It's the accomplishment. Yeah. I think that's a big accomplishment. I, th I mean, for me, the location mixing was because I didn't hear any ADR in it. I mean, I usually that'll, you know, we all have gotten to where we can pick that out pretty easily, but I mean, it was, it was pretty flawless. And that, that dialogue sounded, I mean, great for exactly the reasons that Steve was saying. I mean, you're going through water, you know, mud and huge, long, long takes that were just, and, and, you know, and, you know, you have to deal with the modern world on that. You have to get rid of the modern world, you know, besides all the crew people, you gotta, you know, you can't have jets flying over. You can't, <laughs> you know, <laughs> all that kind of fun stuff. That wasn't, that wasn't around back in 1917. But, but uh, yeah, man, that was, that was, ah, uh, I would, I, I really enjoyed that movie and and then you know sometimes people think that the 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 hard movies are the bigger sounding movies and and if you're a for a dialogue editor or a you know a, even a sound effects editor just finding those little moments where you can make things really pop out and and not take you out of the movie like for me for instance yesterday one of the coolest thing was when he's in the river you know you can make that river sound you know like a river just a plain river and just having floating out but i there was such i don't know if it was in the mixing or i mean it was a mixing and an editing thing too just little waves here and there that would f come across the screen and it was it was a subtle thing and maybe not a lot of people caught it, but it was, it was really one of those moments I was going, wow, man, that was, that was pretty cool <laughs> for me. Yeah, and, I, and I think in the subtlety is where you really do the art. I think you, you know, if you have that opportunity to, you know, like you said, not a lot of people notice it, but your, your mind notices it and your ears notice it because when it's wrong, it really stands out when it's right and it feels right, then it just kind of glides over you and lets you, stay in the film and stay in that and what the character's journey is exactly exactly 
Well, let's move on to our next film in these categories. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was nominated for both sound mixing and sound editing. For sound mixing, the listed team is Michael Minkler, Christian P. Minkler, and Mark Ulano. Mark, again, uh, uh, two nominations on this list. And on the sound editing side, uh, Wiley Statement. Tell me about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, guys. What do you think? Uh, I think they did a great job. And, you know, I was immediately put back in, what was that, 1960, whatever, or 1970, you know. I mean, from the first shot on, between the cars and the, I mean, you know, the sounds of the cars and the, the obviously the music. I mean, you're you're right there back in <laughs> 1970s gritty Hollywood, you know. It was really, I, I enjoyed that movie a lot. And, yeah, I mean, that's, what, that's one of those movies where the production designer, you know, destroyed it in the sense that, like, it, they brought Hollywood back to that era. And I think sound, you know, in the, in the sense of, you know, recreating that sound for that era just really ties it all together because you can, you know, you can, you can make that production design that they spent so much time on to actually get it accurate. You can make that really sing once you know, you put the correct sounds in and, and you create that, the sonic world around the characters as well. And I think they did that really well. This one may be more subtle in the sense it's good that it's recognized here, but I'm thinking that folks might interpret it as not as big a challenge as some of these other films, but to your point, to actually create that time period and not have anachronistic sounds uh, would be difficult. Right. I mean, I, I don't know that it's any easier or any harder than any other show. And, and uh, they all have their challenges, you know. I mean, Ford versus Ferrari, Steve, you know, recording all that dialogue in those cars. That's and, and such an, you know, the racetrack is so big and so, you know, just uh, the size and scope of what he did. And then on, on Joker... You know, it's much more of a Joker in 1917 is much more of a the subtleties that are in there, but it's still the same. I mean, to me, the hero in all of these are are the location guys because if they don't if they don't do a good job, it is it is a long long <laughs> phase for the, the the editors and the mixers, you know. How, how how much do I owe you for that one? <laughs> uh, well, 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 we'll talk about our current little movie in a little bit. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> see how much I owe you. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Well, we'll see when it gets done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's okay. Anyway. Go ahead, Steve. You can talk more. About oh yeah, no, I think I think uh, no. It's just I mean I, I don't I don't know that there's any real. I don't think you can look at any film, especially the ones nominated, and say, oh, this one was way easier and and than that one. I think that everybody uh, puts in 110 percent on every project they do. You know, anybody who's in this business long enough to be able to do, you know, films of that caliber aren't doing it because it was just something to do. It's because they have a passion for the the art of making it. Uh, the jobs are hard enough if you don't love it, you know, I think so every, everybody goes into it with that. At least you, you hope everybody goes into it with the passion for their job because it's, that's what, you know, the payoff at the end of the day is, you know, engaging with the audience and, and telling a story. 
So I think it's, you know, I don't think there's any film that you, at least the ones nominated that you go, oh, that was easier than this one, you know, or, or vice versa. So I think everybody just did an amazing job this year for all the films. 100% agreement because it's, there's just such a, it's, it's, it's all so diverse and, and each one, like I said, has its challenges, you know, and whether you're creating a new world in Star Wars, which I'm sure we'll talk about in just a second, or you're just making sure everything is 1970s based or 1917 based, you know, when, I, when we work with people, the directors and people, you go in and you try to find that Ford gearbox or that Ferrari, you know, the one that had the exact muffler, get the exact car that they were in there or, you know, 1917. It's, it's, I don't know. I just, there's these guys all did amazing, amazing jobs. And, you know, most people you see that do movies. I mean, we all, I'll, I'll uh, back up what Steve just said, because it's, we love what we do. And I think that's the hard, the hard part these days is, is the business part of the movie business, you know, and it's, you know, you, you want to do, the best and be exactly accurate with every little thing that comes out. And it's just, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm right with him on all that stuff, but, uh, this and is, how about this? How about this year? Every movie is a period film, future past, or, you know, there's no present day story told. Oh, that's interesting. interesting. Yeah. I, I just thought of it when you were mentioning the different, well, 1917, our movie is, uh, the Ford movie takes place in the 66. Yeah. At Astros a hundred years from now, uh, you know, uh, once upon a time in Hollywood and also, uh, well, the Joker. Joker is what the early eighties, you know? Right. Exactly. So wow. that's interesting. Let's spend some time talking more specifically about star war, the, the rise of Skywalker. It was nominated in the sound editing category, uh, Matthew Wood and David Accord, but it was not nominated in sound mixing, uh, five movies in each. We had Ad Astra instead of star Wars and sound mixing. And then, no Ad Astra on the sound editing side. Uh, we've talked some about why that may or may not be or where there's confusion on that, but what, what about the film itself struck you guys as memorable? I think I watched it and at the, there, there's a, there, well, it's probably on the mixing side, but at the end of it, they go to almost absolute zero um, in the Palpatine's uh, lair and that's something that, you know, is very effective in a theater when you go to, to absolute zero sound wise. Um, but to me that, that stood out the heaviest in the, in the film because it's not something often you do and especially in a star Wars film or an action film. But I, I'm, I'm not sure if that's Perry, is that editing or that's more mixing, I guess. Right. Yeah, that would, that is actually more mixing. Uh, that's usually a director's choice. You know, right. It's, it's, because we, we have to, going in, you know, we have to prepare it if he decides, oh, that doesn't work. Let's go with all sound now, you know. Uh, so that would be more of a, yeah, it's definitely more of a mixing thing. But, you know, as Star Wars, I mean, you're creating everything from the, you know, the voices to the, of all the different characters, all the different languages. You're also every... Every little starship, 
has a different sound. I don't know. I mean, it, this is a hard one because I'm I'm not sure why that it was thought of that this wasn't a a mixing movie as well because I'm sure that was huge. I mean, part of it could maybe some people know that you know Skywalker they so much the guys that are mixing did some of the editing and stuff too and some of the design work so I don't know I it's a hard question this is this is one of those times that I thought I have a question is why it would be just an editing or not a mixing and because that happened to me years ago I worked on Black Hawk Down when it won best mixing but we didn't we didn't get it for best editing which i thought was a very strange <laughs> yeah very strange yeah right that's a strange split yeah yeah it's never you never understand why there's a it's always hard to understand why there's a split in in that when there's you know the four out of five got both and then these two movies went split each way but yeah i mean i guess it could have gone the other way where you know it didn't get any recognition at all which would right. have been you know sad but um but uh yeah, I mean, interesting this interesting year anyway. Well, speaking of the year, guys, I know it's very hard to see even these films when you're full-time working, but was there anything that wasn't on the list that caught your ear this I year? I thought Rocket Man. Uh, I was surprised Rocket Man didn't make it. That was, that was one of them that I thought probably had a good chance of, of hitting uh, Best Sound. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think if there was something that I – heard that wasn't uh not not right off hand i really liked uh parasite i thought they did a good job in their sound design their kind of um take on the world that they were they were discussing but that might have been maybe it was too safe to you know to a different type of story but uh but i i enjoyed the mix on parasite because i, I did feel like they they took some chances and i i appreciated what they attempted to do yeah. Yeah. That's my next, I gotta, I gotta get Parasite. I gotta see that the next week. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Movies. It's so good. <laughs> That's what I've heard. I've heard nothing but good about that movie. So I gotta, I gotta go check it out. But, uh, oh, man, the, the tension they build in that oh, is just incredible. Oh, I can't wait. That's awesome. No, I, that's also one I think you'll enjoy, Perry. Well, Guys, thanks a lot for uh, joining today, giving us your thoughts on uh, these categories. Really appreciate having you both on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having us. Yep. Listeners, I welcome your feedback. You can email skid, S-K-I-D, at belowtheline1word.biz. That's B-I-C. If you visit us on iTunes, please leave a rating and a comment. It really helps us reach new listeners. And if you're on Facebook, you can find photos and other behind-the-scenes materials at Podcast Below the Line. Finally, you can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram. It's at Pod Below the Line. Thanks to Curtis Five for our music and John Juan for our logo. The logo is available on t-shirts, mugs, and stickers at redbubble.com. Listeners, thanks for following us. Join us again for our ongoing Oscar discussions next episode. See you then.